Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Well, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a very good day today. Uh, we're in the in-between time uh, in, uh, in series. We're going to pick up our, our next uh, sermon series next week, and we're going to spend uh, a while talking about the Holy Spirit and learning about the ways of the Holy Spirit and um, maybe hopefully clearing away uh, some myths and some rumors and uh, some negative connotations that you may or may not have in your mind about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can sometimes get a bad rap. Um, and, you know, people are weird. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. Sometimes people are weird. And uh, so what we want to do is we want to spend the next uh, really several weeks talking about uh, who is the Holy Spirit and, uh, and all of that. So we're going to start that next week, uh, but we're, we're sort of picking off a little bit of where we left off uh, in our last series. And in our last series, we were talking about, you know, essentially what it would look like to steward the things that God gives us uh, as, as best as possible. And primarily we focused on money. And, uh, and so we talked about how does God want to use our money and our resources? How does he want to affect our finances? And how does his economy work? And we understand that, that his ways are absolutely different than our ways. And his economy works a lot different than ours do. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of take some of those thoughts and principles and then sort of expound on them a little bit today for something that I feel like the Lord is birthing in our church. I think our church is at a time where we're beginning to pivot a bit. And we're, we're sort of continuing the story of the Nashville Vineyard. And a couple weeks ago, in fact, two weeks ago, we celebrated our second birthday. And uh, it was a lot of fun. If you were here, we had uh, baptisms. I think we had almost 10 baptisms and um, a lot of food and fun and, and good times. And uh, if you're anything like me, I have a birthday coming up in a, in a little bit. And around my birthdays, especially the more gray hairs I get, I get more reflective. And I get more introspective around my birthday. And I begin to think about, am I, am I doing everything well? You know, am I living life the way I should be living uh, in this past year, did I accomplish the things that I set out to accomplish? Did I accomplish the things that he wanted me to accomplish? You know, so, so many times we can sort of just get in the habit of doing life that we don't even really think about life until, it, you know, we're looking back on it. And so about every year I get reflective and, and introspective and weird, as my family calls it. And I take walks and, and I get solemn and somber, you know. And then I jump out of it. But, but really, it's just a time that I take to just look back on the year. And so I began to do that, actually, with, with our church. As, as we entered into our second, or now our third year as a church, the question that was on my mind and on my heart was that, is this, is this what you had for us? Are we doing the things that you wanted us to do? I mean, this church was a dream that the Lord placed in our hearts about six years ago. And so... Uh, you know, in, in standing on sort of the other side, you know, we said two weeks ago that we, we can no longer use the language church plant, that we're actually, we're going to say we're a church now. And, uh, and so we're, we're, uh, 
doing away with that excuse of being a church plant. And now we're a church. And so now that we're here on this side of it, are we, are we doing the things that we're called to do? Are we being the church that he's called for us to be? Because just like with life, we can just get in the habit of doing the status quo. And there's a lot of opinions and, and things that people say about how, how it's supposed to look. But what we have to understand is that we can only do in our lives, in our church, what we see the Father doing. We can only do what he's calling us to do. And so with that in our, in our brains, I would like for us to take a look at ourselves and take a look at our lives and our hearts to, to understand is, is our lives looking like the dream that he has for us? And as I began to think about this, I began to think logically. I'm, I'm sort of a logical guy. I'm right-brained, not very creative. And, and I, I sort of just process things with logic. And, and the Lord a lot of times has to smack me about that because I get too caught up in my head. And he, he brought me to a verse uh, this week as I was thinking about it. And it's a pretty famous verse. Uh, it's Proverbs chapter 3, verses uh, 5 and 6. And you, you probably know it. You may even have it crocheted into a pillow somewhere. You can find it probably at a Cracker Barrel. And it says that we're supposed to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. And this verse is important for us as we live our lives. It's important for us as we take account of our lives. It's important for us as we begin to dream the dreams that he has for us. Because what it's saying is, is that fundamentally, because his ways are higher, we don't have the ability to, to depend and to lean into our own understanding. We just, we can't. Because fundamentally his, his ways are higher and, and, and his dreams are bigger and the way that his kingdom works is so upside down from what the world does that our understanding is going to fail us if we apply our logic and reasoning to some of the things that he has for us and to some of the, uh, the principles of the kingdom. And it says that what we're supposed to do is to trust in the Lord and then if we are wanting to understand his ways, then what we need to begin to do is it says to acknowledge him. Now this word acknowledge isn't the word acknowledge like a hey, how you doing? The Hebrew word here is the same word, it's a knowing. And it's the same word that Genesis used that Adam knew Eve and they conceived. It's an intimate, close term. We're supposed to get close to the Lord and to the degree that our intimacy grows with the Lord is the degree that our understanding begins to grow in his ways. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to perceive what it is he's trying to do because our understanding will fail us. That's what this verse is saying. And so as we begin to move forward today and really with the rest of our lives into what the Lord is leading us into, we have to understand that there's going to be things that he's asking you that logically don't make sense. And we see this, right? When Jesus is, is on the earth, I mean, the things that he does, it doesn't make sense. You need some money, go fishing. And there's a coin in the mouth of a fish. That doesn't make sense. But we're supposed to just trust him because his ways aren't our ways. And so with that in mind, we, we need to take an evaluation of our own selves and see what is he calling us into because 
His ways are different. And there's principles of the kingdom that are so upside down that sometimes we have to absolutely throw out our logic and reasoning and then begin to take his mind, the mind of Christ, so that we can understand what he's leading us into. And so with that in mind, I began to, to think about what are we doing? What am I doing? What are we doing as a church? Are we, are we doing the things that he's calling us to or are we just doing the things that churches do? Because there's a, a pretty good script out there for how to do church. There's a good script of how to do life, right? I mean, you can look at people that you deem successful, that you deem worthy of, of honor, and you can say, I need to be like them. And sometimes that's good, but the Lord has created you uniquely to do different things. And if you're not growing in your intimacy with him, then you're not going to realize the plans that he has for you because you're going to be so focused on other people's lives and what they're doing so that you can then emulate them. But he has a distinct vision for you. And you can miss that if you're not careful. And we can miss that if we're not careful. And we can do programs, and we can do great services, and we can do all of the things that churches could potentially do and miss the mark. And we can have great lives and, and do all of the things we feel like we're supposed to do with our lives and miss the mark. And so the Lord is asking us to lean into him, not into us, into him. And so as I was reflective and, and thinking about our church and asking the Lord, are we doing all of the things that we're supposed to do? I, I felt like he was sort of leading me on this journey of understanding. And if you look around, there, there are a lot of things going on outside of here. There's a lot of things going on in culture. And we can get caught up with all of those things. But the Lord is saying that he has something for, for you and for me and for us uniquely. And so I, I decided let's, let's peel back the layers. And so the first question is, what is church in the first place? Like, what is the point what is the point of what we're doing? You know, one of the things that Sarah and I say to each other all the time is that we don't want to just do another church. We don't want to just have another country club that people come and go. Because honestly, this is a lot of work. And we're not going to do it as well as other people. So why waste our time doing that? But we feel like the Lord is calling us to do something uniquely for him. But the trap is that we can fall into the things that we know that we're supposed to do and just keep doing those things. And so the question is, what is church even for? Like, what's the point? Have you ever asked that? Hopefully. Right? Sunday morning at 8.30 when you're getting ready and Saturday was a late night. Have you ever asked yourself, what in the world are we doing? I have. I'm always amazed people show up. <laughs> because it's just, it's a hard thing to do. And hopefully you've asked yourself, like, what are we doing? What, what are we doing here? And so I began to ask the Lord, what, do, what is church in the first place? Which may surprise you is that I'm the pastor here, and this is our, now we're in our third year. It's not the first time I've asked that, so don't worry. But I just needed to revisit it. And so I, I just began to think about, what is church? What, is, what does the Bible say about church? And, and one of the things that it says, and it says it in, um, I think it's 1 Corinthians here is that uh, 
It says that the church is the body, the body of Christ. Which means that Christ is the head and we're the body, and so then fundamentally we're probably supposed to be carrying out what Jesus did when he was here because now we're his body and we're going forward and, and he's gone and sitting at the right hand of the Father, and so now he's commissioned us to go and do the same, right? Because we're the body, we're his body. We're supposed to go. And so what, what then was Jesus' ministry? If we're supposed to continue the works that Jesus did, if we're supposed to continue his ministry, then the question has to be, what was Jesus' ministry? Like, what did he do? You know, fundamentally. And you, Jesus actually tells you a lot of times what his purpose is. We know, we know a couple of them, that he's, he's the light of the world. And he was called to bring light into dark places. And then he says that we're the light of the world. And we're called to bring light into dark places. And he tells us that he's the life. And he's life abundant, and then he calls us to go and bring life. And where Jesus went, life seemed to spring up. And when death was, was waning, Jesus was entering. And so for us, life should begin to spring up. There's one, uh, there's one verse that I think just sums it up so well. And it's, it's, uh, it's 1 John 3, 8, the last part of it. And, it. and John is telling us, like, what is the purpose? Like, it's, let's just sum everything up. John was the admitted best friend of Jesus. I don't know if that means anything, because I could say I'm the best friend of someone. I don't know if it means anything unless they say it, but he says it. And he says that the purpose of the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the summation of why Jesus came, is what John is telling us, to destroy the works of the devil. And we've talked about this over and over again. You see, when Adam and Eve fell, Satan had authority. We handed the authority to Satan, and he became, as Jesus calls him, the ruler of this age, the ruler of the world. And Jesus came to destroy his works. And what is his works? His works are to steal, kill, and destroy. Theft death, and destruction. That's the works. And so fundamentally then the destruction of his works would be abundance and favor, life, and flourishing. And those are the destruction of the works of the devil. And everywhere Jesus went, you see him do this. You see him restore the theft of the enemy by feeding 5,000. And he takes the lack, and this is what we spent so much time talking about. He takes our lack and he turns it into abundance because he's destroying the works of the devil. We see it when, when, when he brings life forth from unexpected places, from dead people. And he destroys the work of death on the cross finally, ultimately. And then we see it also in, in where Jesus goes, so does the flourishing of humankind. People get healed. People are set free. Diseases are rendered powerless. The destruction that the enemy intends for our world, for us, Jesus spends his time undoing it. And then he sums up his mission. He calls this the kingdom. Like that's what he calls the presence of the destruction of the power of the devil is the presence of the kingdom. And so when he teaches us to pray, he teaches us that, that his kingdom come, his will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven, because when that happens, when his kingdom is established and his kingdom breaks forth, then the works of the devil are undone. And the kingdom of God looks like abundance and favor, life and flourishing. And so then, the question becomes, as a church, the byproduct of what we're doing is to begin to see the abundance and favor, life and flourishing spring up wherever we trod our feet. Wherever we gather here, in this neighborhood, in this region, in this city, in our homes, in our offices, in our schools, in our classrooms, we should see the byproduct of our effectiveness as being the reversal and destruction of the works of the enemy. And a way to measure our effectiveness would be to say, are we beginning to see, and that's called the kingdom, are we beginning to see the kingdom of God come and move out and things begin to come under the rule and reign of Jesus? Sicknesses being healed, poverty lifted, relationships fixed. That's what the kingdom looks like. And so as I begin to think about that, I begin to think, okay, so that's, that's sort of the measure of our effectiveness as a church, as, as followers of Jesus. Because we understand this isn't a church, this is the church, right? We're the church. And a measure of our effectiveness is to say, are we beginning to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven? Is it a result of us being together? Are our families mended as a result of us just gathering together? Is sickness and disease leaving? These are the questions that we should be asking ourselves. These are the measurements. And see, the, the problem is, is that if I look around, it doesn't seem like that is the evidence, does it? It seems like now, I mean, we're in a time where there's more large churches than there's ever been before, and it seems like culture is slipping further and further away from what would appear to be the realm of the kingdom, doesn't it? And, and I have to think that those two things shouldn't be, it, sh it just shouldn't be. Like, there's three times more churches than there are all of the public, private, and secondary schools, almost three times. Which should mean then that our schools should be flourishing just by the sheer number. But what we saw last week is that that's not the case. And it seems like it's getting worse. Which then makes me say, what are we doing? Like, I feel like maybe we're missing the goal. How, how can we have nearly three times the amount of churches than schools and our schools be suffering the way they are? How does that work? Could it be that we're not measuring the right measurables? We're not taking inventory of what we really need to take inventory? I mean, there's, there's things that people say, especially in church, that healthy things grow, and they track growth. And growth isn't a bad thing. We've grown tremendously over the past year. I mean, we've grown like five times over a year. Growth isn't bad. But cancer grows too. Waistlines grow too. That's not necessarily a good thing. 
right? So growth can't be the only measure of success. That doesn't make sense. And honestly, so I'm just, disclaimer, I don't have a seminary background. I have a, I have a business background. I have an MBA, not an MDiv. And so when I'm processing things that the Lord is telling me, a lot of times he teaches me those things kind of in a business way. And so I'm, I'm, I'm working through this with him over this time, and I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding it. So I, then I kind of put it in my language. And I do commercial banking and consulting and that sort of thing. And so I just said, okay, well, it's, in, it's entirely possible. You may not know this. You may get really bored from this. I'm sorry. But it's entirely possible for a business to have their sales grow to a point that it actually kills it. In fact, more businesses fail because of rapid growth than rapid decline. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But the idea is that sales, revenues, on the top, can grow, 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 but because of all of the effort and energy and inefficiencies that they have in their systems, net profit, the actual money they make, can dwindle. And see, the problem is with these business owners, and I, I've had this conversation maybe a thousand times with business owners, they think they're doing great. And I typically have to be the one that sits down and say, you're about two weeks away from going out of business. And they don't understand how that can be because their sales are growing, numbers are growing, but they're measuring the wrong thing. See, the goal of a business is profitability, period. Not sales growth. But sales growth is a lot sexier than profitability sometimes. And the owners of the businesses can get so distracted by the growth of the company that they neglect all of the systems and processes and their bottom line. And so it is with the church. Like if we're measuring the wrong things, then we'll never know that we're missing the mark until it's too late. And if I was talking with a business owner, I would say, well, let's reevaluate. Let's, let's, let's find out what is our ultimate goal. It's not to have fun. It's not to make an impact. It's profitability, right? That's the goal. Other things come afterwards. But if you're doing anything above profitability, you should stop. Because it doesn't make sense. And I think the Lord is saying that to us. is like, what is the goal? What's the goal? And it's that we should begin to see the kingdom coming around us. We should be able to see our cities and our neighborhoods. And, and everywhere that we go looks a little bit more like heaven and a little bit less like earth. And if that isn't happening, then, then somewhere we're not doing everything the way that, that he wants us to do. And so I feel like he's leading us into a time of beginning to look deeper into what is he actually saying to us. You know, like we said before, it's easy to get caught up in things and miss the big picture. And so he, he kind of brought to mind a couple of scriptures, and they're really famous scriptures. And, and I think that there are some keys and some principles in here that he has for us. That if we begin to sort of lean into those principles and those keys, that we'll begin to see the kingdom come. And I think it's going to happen in a way that is completely different than anything that's ever happened up until this point. There's been so many people that are saying right now, so many voices in the greater church that are saying that we're entering into a time of, of incredible acceleration 
incredible harvest time of, of, of souls coming into faith, that we're about to see a really giant move of God. And it's coming from all over the body, all different directions, all different denominations, and so it makes you sort of take note that maybe the Lord is saying something to the church. Maybe he's saying, get ready. And I feel like he's saying that to us, get ready. Because if we're not ready, we can miss it. And we can be really focused on the wrong thing, and we'll turn around and realize that we're terribly ineffective. And I don't want to do that. So the scripture today is uh, Isaiah 61. You can go there. And just in case you're thinking that maybe that's, maybe this isn't the, you know, the case. Maybe it's not true. I'm just making it up or I'm being dramatic. I read an article that came out last week. Yeah. Uh, Wallet Hub does this, this study and this ranking where they, they list all of the, the worst states, like as far as like seven deadly sins and all of that sort of stuff. And Tennessee actually came out as the angriest, most hateful state in the country. And they, they comprised and compiled all of this data, uh, per capita murders, uh, elder abuse, uh, sexual offenses and crimes. All of these sort of things began to, to make this picture come to fruition. That per capita, we're the angriest, most hate-filled state in America. Us, we, us. And it's not just because of our football teams. It's for other things. Guys, that's going to be the one sports joke you hear me make in like the next 12 months. <laughs> Eat it up. Not really into sports, sorry. Um, and that, that statistic is like, that stings. That's, that's not fun. Right? But it's really bad in light of another study that came out. There's a, uh, a study that came out, a survey in 2016 the Pew Research Study, that unfortunately we're also the number three in most religious states. Number two on average weekly church attenders. So, so we're the second state in the whole country of, of people that go to church every week. 70, where is it at? 71% of the state's residents reported that they prayed daily, 71%. And 78% reported that they believed in God with absolute certainty. And yet, we are the angriest, most hate-filled state in the Union. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe going to church every Sunday doesn't work like we hope it works. Maybe that's not the answer. Maybe believing in a God isn't really enough. Maybe praying isn't really enough. Right? I mean, the scriptures say that you can believe in God and, and great. So do the demons. And maybe we've, we've fooled ourselves into thinking that we're doing all of the things that we're supposed to do, so everything's great. But I would say that things aren't great. I mean, if, if the church was being effective, if we were doing our job, then we should be the most loving state, the most kind and gentle state, the most long-suffering, the most patient. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And maybe those things would be growing at such an amazing rate that 
someone would take note and say, what is going on in Tennessee? And we could say, it's Jesus breaking out of his church. But maybe we've spent too much time in the church instead of out of the church. And maybe we just haven't really put two and two together. I don't know. But it seems like what we've been doing isn't working. So Isaiah 61 is pretty famous. In fact, Jesus quotes it as he begins his ministry. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the son of the foreigner shall be your plowman and your vine dresser. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord, that they shall call you the servants of our God. And you will eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you'll have double honor, and instead of confusion, they'll rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they will possess double. Everlasting joy will be theirs. So that's a really famous verse. And the question is, did you, did you catch it? Like, if the, if the point, if, if the byproduct of the church is the flourishing of our cities, like, if this neighborhood should look a lot different, because we're here. The school, the school which is 96% below the poverty level, which is in the bottom 7% of all schools in the country, that school should see a marked difference because we moved in in April. And if it's not, the question becomes why? So if that's the goal, I believe this verse has an answer of, of actually how the Lord intends to make that happen because it, I don't think it's happening. I think maybe Jesus wants his church back. And he has ideas that maybe we haven't thought of yet. But they're right here all along. So let's look at it. Right in the first verse, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. Remember Jesus is saying this. Jesus quotes this in Luke. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To preach good news to the poor. And then if you skip down to, to verse 4, it says that they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Who? Who does that? It's the poor. The word here that's used means poor. Not, I don't know, spiritually poor. It means poor, like lack of money, lack of resources. And what he says is that the Spirit of the Lord is on him to preach the gospel, the good news, the gospel to the poor, to set them free. And then they'll, in turn, rebuild the cities. Isn't that like God 
to hide the kingdom in the poor? I mean, doesn't that sound like something God would do to, to put the seedbed of the kingdom coming on earth in heaven in the most unlikely place? Guys, I think this is the key. I'm pretty sure this is the key. And why aren't we seeing the kingdom coming? Because I think we're not preaching the gospel to the poor. We're not focused on the poor. We're not seeing them for what they are as valued members of the kingdom. Not charity that needs a handout, but crucial members of the kingdom of God, that something that the Lord has placed in them in his wisdom and his abundance is, is a seedbed, it's a catalytic thing that when they receive the gospel, the kingdom of God begins to advance on earth as it is in heaven. If you go back to all of the moves of God, all of the revivals, all of the things that happen over and over again, you go back past Azusa, past all of those sort of things, what do you find? Where does it start? It starts with the poor. It starts with the poor. Not because of an accident, but because there's something the Lord has hidden inside of them that is the springboard of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. Which is, I mean, that's, that's so God. Right? Because he's so for the marginalized. I mean, he's so for the foreigner, the outcast. So much so that he's hidden everything right inside of them. Over and over again in scriptures, he talks about caring for the poor. I mean, there's, there's just almost thousands of verses. Why? Because it's a nice thing to do? Because, like, they should have better cars? Or a little bit more money or something? Or slightly better quality of life? I don't think so. Those are great. But, like, we have problems. Does everyone have problems? Who has problems? Right? And some of you are poor. I know that. But, but we just talked about money doesn't necessarily mean your problems go away, right? Like, there's, an, there's also another statistic that essentially after uh, household income reaches $75,000, it's sort of a diminishing returns after that. Like, your happiness level equivalent to your dollar income sort of just falls off after that. So the difference between 75000 and 600000 is minuscule as far as how much that's going to make you happy. Isn't that crazy? And for some of us, $75,000 seems like, might as well say, a million. But in reality, that means that there's a certain level that once your sort of basic needs are met, the, the more you pile on top of that doesn't affect your happiness. So, so is God's plan just to get us up to a marginal level of happiness? I don't think so. Why is he so for the poor? Because he's for the kingdom. And he's for the redemption and the renewal of all things. And he's foreseeing the restoration and the destruction of the works of the devil. That's what he's all about. Because he's working diligently to restore creation to itself, to him. And he's hidden it in the poor. Well, so I, I felt like the Lord showed me that, and I, I really, honestly, it seemed right. But it's interesting. Around this time last year, I was called 
to come into a church. And this was a really cool church. And it was their last, it was their last service they ever had. Last one. The pastor was leaving. His wife had just died. And, uh, and he planted the church and had been serving the church for a long time. And it was their last service. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful service. They cried and they hugged. And he finished well. But it was, you know, probably 20 people. The church had been around for, I would say, a decade. Incidentally, it was this, I left that ser- service. I came out. I was just weeping and crying. I mean, we had just, you know, we were a year in. It was the same Sunday that uh, the pastor of Crosspoint stepped down as well. So I got to see sort of two different ways to end, end the ministry. It was just a really surreal day. But I sat with him and I talked with him. I said, you know, what, so could you tell me? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm new at this. I have no idea what I'm doing. You've got experience. What's, you know, tell me, give me some pointers. So he began to tell me the story of the church. And, and this, the church was actually, it was growing. It was thriving. It was doing really well. And then all of a sudden, he looked around. The church was in 12 South. Before 12 South was super cool. And he looked around and he said, none of the people in 12 South come to our church. It's all people that drive in and leave. And maybe the Lord has put us here for a reason. And so he began to focus on, like, the poorest of the, the homeless. And what he told me has always stuck with me. He said, And you need to be careful about that. Because when the homeless people come, the other people left. And so that's always stuck with me because, and he didn't regret it. Not at all. But I I started kind of wrestling with those two things. The the thing that the Lord was showing me here and the the other thing that he said. And so really, if you look at the broader spectrum, if you look at at ministries that are really focused, laser beam focused on the poor, they have a hard time with, with finances and funds and, and volunteers and all that sort of stuff. And so I kind of put the two together and I said, yeah, I, I don't get it. What is, if the kingdom should come and if, if those sort of things happen, why, why the disconnect? And I feel like the Lord says it's because nobody believes it. Nobody believes that what you're doing isn't just necessarily because you're supposed to do it. It's because the kingdom is there. See, if you, if you believe that ministering to the poor or the homeless is something you're just supposed to do, then you'll only do it when it's really convenient. And when it begins to become inconvenient, I mean, it's just normal, we'll say, eh, I'm, not, I'm good. And then we'll go do something else. Because you just, you haven't seen it for what the Lord is saying it is. It's not just doing it for good sake. It's not just being charitable and nice because it's something good Christians are supposed to do. It's, it's an understanding that I'm doing this fully expecting to see the kingdom break in in a tremendous way. And if we believe that, we can put up with some of maybe the inconveniences that we may experience in the process. Because real ministry is messy, right? I mean, really getting down in the trenches is in the trenches. And it can be hard. And if the only reason we're doing it is because we think we're supposed to do it, we will quit doing that very quickly. But, but if we can grab a hold of the idea that he has hidden the kingdom of God inside these people because he values them so much, and if we can value them even half as much as he values them, we will throw our whole lives at it, and we will be better for it. And that seems counterintuitive. 
Logically, that doesn't seem to make sense. But we just, we just talked about in Proverbs that we can't lean on our understanding because it, it doesn't work. So I feel like that's where the Lord is calling us into. I feel like what he's asking us to do is, do we really want to take part in his church? Or do we want to continue to do ours? I mean, that's the question. And that doesn't mean we may or may not go to heaven. It just may mean that we may not see heaven come here. I'd like to see it here. And when I began to understand this, it makes so much sense. We do a school of ministry that meets every Monday where we train people how to pray for people and see, see heaven come. And uh, one of the things that I always say, and I, I've actually never had an explanation for this, is that uh, you really want to see the miraculous break forth. Come join us at our, our homeless feeding that we do the fourth Saturday of every month. Something about it, I would say, it just, like, it just happens. Like the most miraculous things I've ever seen have been in that homeless feeding. Like one time I prayed for a guy who was deaf and his ear opened. Like that's New Testament stuff. And I, I haven't done that here. I did it there. And I think it's because that's where the kingdom is. See, God is out there. His kingdom is always at work. God is always doing stuff. And it's not that we're going to bring God to places. It's that we're going to join him in the work that he's already doing. And if we're not going to join him in the work that he's already doing, then we're going to miss that. And we can just be here. And maybe the next move of God isn't in here, it's out there. We've had a lot of moves of God in here. Renewals and, and all of that. And if we can understand that, then we'll, start, we'll stop trying to be the best church in the city and start trying to be the best church for the city. And we'll begin to be the church that when, when the city needs something, when the neighborhood needs something, they say, you should go check that place out. And our measure of effectiveness is how much are we seeing the kingdom come? How much are we being referred to by the city? that says if your marriage is in trouble, you should go there. The kingdom seems to break forth. If you're sick, you should go there. If, if something is wrong and you feel like it should be right, there's something happening there. And that's what we've begun to do, honestly, is to shift our paradigm and say, how can we be the best church for the city? We will never be the best church in the city. I'm not that good. I still get uncomfortable that, that I get called pastor sometimes. Like, I, like we're, we're a weird place. So we'll never be the best church in the city, but I believe we can be the best church for the city. And I believe that's what he's calling us to be. And so we do things. We're going to start things. You're going to hear about other things happening. This past week, we had our first, we've been meeting with the principal of Warner Elementary over here. And we've been saying, hey, how can we serve you? What can we do? And they let us in for the first time this past week for a literacy night. And they needed food. They didn't have money to buy food because the parents won't come unless there's food. And so they want people to show up. Can you bring food? And we're like, heck yeah, we'll bring food. And so we just showed up and we brought some food. And we're normal. And we smiled and we weren't mean. And we just loved on the kids and the parents and gave them food. And 
And the principal came down and she couldn't believe it. And so something happened and she now trusts us. And so she said, hey, we're doing a dance in April. And these are pre-K through fourth graders. And, um, and she said, you know, would you guys be willing to volunteer? It's like, volunteer? We'll, we'll bring a live band. And she, was, she couldn't believe that. She was like, how are you going to bring a live band? And I was like, how would we not bring a live band? Like, you can't throw a rock in this church without making a band. <laughs> Incidentally, would you guys help me pray in some lawyers and accountants? That would be great. And she just couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe that, I mean, why would we want to do that? And, and honestly, it's not because we want to feel good about ourselves. It's because, because that was, I mean, that was a late night, and it was Thursday, and I had work on Friday and worked all day Thursday. But it's because I believe that we're going to see a shift in that school. And I believe that even in the course of a year that we could see it go from the bottom 7% to the top 7 Not because of us, but because the kingdom of God is there. And we can partner with the Spirit and begin to see it break, break through. There's another verse, just in case you think it's reaching, in the Isaiah I can see that. There's a verse in, in Luke 6, 19 and 20. Like, Jesus knows that I'm very dense. And so he says things pretty explicitly. And this is what he says. In 19, it says that the entire crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So here's Jesus in the midst of a crowd and something called power and they just say that as though we're supposed to understand what that means. But power, and I'm thinking like, like lightning bolts or something, is coming out of him. And, and everyone is getting healed. Everyone that is around him is getting healed. And so in that context of people just all of a sudden getting healed, I don't, it doesn't say he was praying for them. They were just trying to touch him. And power was coming out of him. That's pretty interesting. But in that context, he looks at his disciples who are probably standing around going, what is this? And he looks at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Again, this word poor is poor. And what he's saying is, you like this? Can you believe this? This is where my kingdom is. This is where it is. And if you want to see the kingdom, this is where you'll be. It's a different view, isn't it? I mean, isn't it just like Jesus that, that if, we want to, if we want to see the kingdom come in culture, it's not that we start at the top. That's where we go, right? We pick the seven mountains and start at the top, and we think if there could just be a Christian CEO in every position, then surely the kingdom would come. But isn't it just like Jesus to start at the bottom up, not the top down? To see the kingdom come by washing the city's feet, not taking the city for God. Because there's the kingdom at the bottom, in the least. It's pretty amazing. Like, is anyone else going, what? All week I've been going, what? But it makes sense now that I'm thinking about over all of the amazing experiences I've ever had it all seems to center around those times when I stepped out of my comfort zone 
and was around the poor. I remember a story uh, Sarah's dad told me. They used to go minister uh, out on the streets in, in Tampa and Ybor City, uh, which is sort of a, a poor neighborhood. Um, and they would go minister in the streets, and many times they, they, you know, they would go pass out candy bars. And many times they would pass out more candy bars than they had. And he's, in a, like, he's a, a finance banker guy. He knows how much candy bars is in there because he's also like, really tight with his money. So he knows exactly how much he spent on there. So he would know. And, and every time they gave out more candy bars, it sounds like fish and loaves, right? Where was it at? It was around the poor. You hear these stories of, of things on the mission. Why do you think things happen on the mission field? You ever notice that? That there's always better stories on the mission field than there are here? Because typically you go to the hurting and the broken and the poor in the mission field, right? Isn't that where you go? You're not staying in the palace most of the time. And there's all these stories that, that you can hear of, of, of the, the absolute miraculous. Because that's where the kingdom is. And if we stay here in our bubbles, we may see slivers of the kingdom because God is awesome. And he doesn't care. He wants the kingdom everywhere. But if we really want to see the stuff and make this worthwhile and, and make your, your commute here on Sunday mornings worthwhile, then we need to get where the kingdom is. So we're, we're going to go all in on this. We're going to spend our lives doing this sort of stuff here because I think I think the Bible's true, and this is God's heart for us. So we're starting something like, like next week, next Saturday. You saw the advertisement. We're having a thing called Food Chapel. And we're going to do it once a month, but hopefully it grows to many times. But right now, we, we're still figuring out what, what in the world are we doing. And what we're going to do is we're going to go out and invite all of the, you know, half a mile is a tent city full of homeless people. And, uh, and so they're there. We're here. And there's, we're in a food desert. And there's a, a break in feedings from Saturday morning, there's a feeding, till Sunday evening. So there's like a 24-hour period where there's no place to get a free, free meal around here. So every, every week around that time, people are really hungry. And so what we're going to do is we're going to invite them to come. We're going to sit them down and serve them. We're not going to pray them through. We're going to treat them like special guests. We're going to see their value because God values them. We're going to feed them. We're going to have music. And we're going to see the kingdom. Because we're not only going to do that. That's probably pretty good if that's all we do. But we're also going to say, hey, we're going to do this really fun thing. Just hang on with us for a minute because we've got raffles and we're going to give out some money. So they'll hang out. And then we're going to say, hey, Holy Spirit, would you come and, and just show them how much you love them? And we're going to see the kingdom like crazy. And it's going to be awesome. And people are going to get healed. And people are going to get delivered. And people are going to get set free. And favor is going to return. An abundance where there once was lack. And we're going to see the works of the devil destroyed. And we're going to keep doing that and keep doing that. And we're going to begin to see a change in our radius, 
in our area here. And I think people are going to begin to, to wonder what is happening. We may or may not tell them. But we're just going to keep at it. We're going to start another thing this summer, hopefully, called Healing on the Streets. And we're going to, we're going to post up again on Saturday, right over in the park. And we're just going to begin to pray for people. We're going to put up a sign that says, Healing Here. Which is kind of bold. But if you're going to go, you've got to go all out. And we're going to be there every Saturday, and we're just going to say, we just want to pray and see the kingdom come. And so we're going to just start doing more of this sort of stuff. So don't be surprised if you begin to see that happening. Don't be surprised if maybe the demographics shift a bit. Because that's going to be the kingdom coming. Here, as it is in heaven. But I think the Lord is moving us into a place where he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And if we're spending our time hoping it looks like the last time, we're going to miss the next time. Because I think the next time is out of the walls. Because he's renewed the church and now it's time to renew the city. He's brought renewals to our altars and he's going to begin to bring renewal to our streets. And we're going to join him in that. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take time to just invite the Holy Spirit to give us a taste. A taste of what to expect when we actually go out and see the kingdom. And we've seen amazing things here. We've seen healings. We've seen cancers go overnight. We've seen just wonderful stuff. But it's just the shadow of things to come. But the same God who's working out there is working in here, thankfully. And if you need a touch, if you need prayer, if you need deliverance, if you, if you need favor, abundance, if you need life, if you need to flourish in an area, this would be a great place to start. And we'll pray that the kingdom comes here in your life as it is in heaven. So we're going to take some time. We're going to worship a little bit. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's here. He's not waiting on us to invite him, but what we're doing is we're making ourselves available to him. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But we're going to invite him and say, I want you to just invade all of, all of this. Everything in my head, everything in my heart, I'm just going to give it to you because I need you. So if, if you do need that, we had a couple words uh, we feel like the Lord wants to do specifically. We do a 9.30 prayer time. Everyone's invited. Uh, we have a chapel on the second floor over there. We have some prayer. We seek the Lord to say, what do you want to do today? And we felt like that he wants to do a couple things. He wants, there's, I think, particularly diseases, not just sickness, but diseases. He wants to see go today. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think that there's, uh, this will be the last day for some people with diseases. I think those are going to go. And I also feel like that there is a financial miracle that he wants to do. Just miraculous. Not even an explanation. Just this crazy story that you're going to want to tell next week. And then I think that he just wants to 
invade your lives right now that you begin to feel his love so that we can love other people well. We can't love other people well unless we experience his love. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to have your way. Jesus, we give you your church back. We give you our lives back. Lord, we're just changed in your pocket and you can spend us how you want. And that's a scary prayer. And we can't do that without you, Holy Spirit. And so we just invite you right now to have your way with us. Whatever it is you want to do. So just begin to worship the Lord and let him deal with you. And begin to ask him, what are you saying to me through this today? I'm here for a reason. You're here for a reason. What are you wanting to do with me specifically right now today? Are there things that you need to change? Is there freedom available? And then if you do need prayer, please come forward. We'll have people come behind you that's from our prayer team. And we'll pray for you. And ask the Lord to fill you with his love. For all upcoming events or more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.